It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Bill Hemmer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. A lot's happened since they last met, including the spy balloon. But President Biden is expected to meet with China's president today in San Francisco. And while it sounds like the goal is to cool things down, that may require a bit of work. Part of the problem is that there's been a pattern by Xi Jinping, the president of China, in which he is just stating publicly that he wants to challenge the United States in so many words that they are putting investment in things that would challenge us. We speak with Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy. I'm Chris Foster. We're getting a break from higher prices. Consumer inflation for the month cooling off to zero. There were lots of concerns that inflation would remain sticky for a long, long time. Keep in mind that year-over-year number, by the way, uh, is still over 3%. So that's not a number that's acceptable to the Fed, by the way. They want to see inflation lower than that. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. President Biden is scheduled to meet with China's President Xi Jinping today. It's their first meeting in a year. Before he left for the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco, President Biden said from D.C. the goal is to change the U.S.-China relationship for the better. To get back on a normal course of corresponding, being able to pick up a phone and talk to one another over the crisis being able to make sure our military still have contact with one another. He said they don't want to decouple from China. And last week, to pave the way for this meeting, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the same after meeting with her Chinese counterpart, also in San Francisco. We do not seek to decouple our economy from China's. This would be damaging to both the U.S. and China and destabilizing for the, for the world. She said a healthy economic relationship means treating American workers and companies fairly. I raise concerns about the breadth and depth of the PRC's non-market policies and practices and their global spillovers. These are concerns that I hear frequently from U.S. businesses. Last month at a tech meeting in Palo Alto, California, where the leaders of the intelligence agencies of Britain, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada met with our FBI chief, Christopher Wray said of China, Their hacking program is now bigger than that of every other major nation combined. And it's aiming for targets like popular corporate email software and companies that in turn serve a whole bunch of clients so that it can steal not just from single businesses, but from hundreds or thousands at once. Ray said China also hides information about its own companies and tries to make it harder for us to detect and avoid harmful investments in joint ventures. And that they're targeting AI, where Ray said Silicon Valley leads the world. And now they're working to use AI to improve their already massive hacking operations using our own technology against us. It is outrageous. Earlier this year at multiple military budget hearings attended by our Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, he called the PRC our pacing challenge as the budget requested a 40% increase for our Pacific Deterrence Initiative to create a stronger posture in the Indo-Pacific. We do not want a hot war with China. Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy was recently in China. Uh, The kind of model that I'm, I'm embracing that I've read is that we are going to compete with China 
occasionally we're going to cooperate with China, but we want to avoid confrontation with China. Right now, China is flying jets within 10 feet of our jets and creating turbulence with their jet engines that our jets then fly through, which, which makes it mm. difficult, both first the risk of collision and then secondly the risk of the turbulence. Now, that should be avoided. If it occurs, it may trigger, literally, a response from the United States, uh, which in turn could trigger something from China. So we should work to avoid a hot war and communication, hopefully, to avoid these sorts of incidences and others, kind of gratuitous conflict, if you will. Any communication to prevent that is good communication. Well, the president also said that um, if the average Chinese citizen was able to have a decent paying job, that would help China and it helps us. We know China's economy has been struggling relative to where it was. But then he said, but I'm not going to support positions where if we want to invest in China, we then have to turn over all our trade secrets. What does that mean for all of the U.S. industry already in China that perhaps already had to turn over all of its intellectual property? I mean, this summer, Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, Elon Musk, Tim Cook, they were all in China. Our industry seems to want to be in China regardless of this IP issue. So I just went to China, oh, I guess now about a month ago. Uh, and I can tell you, the people over there are concerned about it. Um, as one guy said, I didn't realize they stole my IP until my competitor built a plant that looked just like mine. Um, <laughs> and then he goes back and finds out, yep, they stole my IP. So I think that whatever Mr. Diamond and others say, the people who are there have learned the hard lessons, and they will continue their investments but I don't think you'll see a lot of future investment. But when the president said, you know, Chinese people having jobs is helpful to everyone, including us, but I'm not going to support handing over our trade secrets, is he linking China's struggling economy right now to how much the U.S. invests in their country? He should link it. The United States has been a huge investor, a huge investor in China. Uh, if you take that plus our trade deficit, We've basically financed their economic expansion. Bob Lighthizer, former President Trump's lead trade negotiator, said that you can take our trade deficits over the year, and that pretty much adds up to what the Chinese have spent on modernizing their military as well as doing other things, for example, Belt and Road. So um, the United States mm -hmm. has contributed tremendously to the prosperity of China, and unfortunately for the United States, uh, the Chinese have used that prosperity not to improve the lot of all the other Chinese, but of attempting to modernize their military, et cetera. So, but we, Senator, we've heard from the Trump administration and now the Biden administration to some extent about making more things at home, right? We heard Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who, who met her counterpart ahead of APEC, she said in remarks, we don't want to decouple from China. That would be disastrous for the world's economy. But as there's this effort to make more things at home, what exactly are we trying to do? Are we trying to let American industry stay in China while incentivizing them to also open up plants here at home? Or are we trying to get American industry to up and leave China while at the same time telling them we don't want to decouple from them? Yes, yes, and yes. If a company has a billion dollars invested in China, they're not walking from that investment. But if a company has a decision as to whether to continue to contract with somebody in China or to contract in a place like Vietnam or Mexico or Latin America elsewhere, then they're probably looking at it pretty seriously and thinking about contracting outside of China itself. 
and some companies, because of the advantages of the United States, are instead moving their operations to the United States, and frankly, including some Chinese companies. Why? Because we've got a great workforce. We've got cheap natural gas, and we also have rule of law. You mentioned earlier about people getting their intellectual property stolen. Well, in the United States, that doesn't really happen, and if it does, you've got redressing courts. So right. all the advantages of the United States is causing many firms to move operations back to the United States. Okay, so let me shift for a second here. We, we understand out of APEC, the president might announce a deal with China that would result in going after those who produce the chemicals in China that are used to make fentanyl in Mexico. I suppose it will, you know, maybe take a minute or so for proof of that to surface, right? We might have to, to see if China goes after any, you know, chemical precursor suppliers. But more importantly, what did China maybe get in return for this? Well, the goodwill of the United States. One thing that would be more, you know, real tangible for the Chinese government, selling fentanyl overseas allows Chinese to move capital out of China. I read about a year ago that about a billion dollars a day leaves China in capital flight. Now, why? Because rich people and businesses in China don't trust the Chinese government, and so they want to get oh. their money out. If somebody orders fentanyl and they pay the Chinese chemical firm um, and whatever they pay them in, but it stays in a bank in the West, well, the company still has the money. It's just in the West. It's out of the reach of the Chinese authorities. So I can actually see the Chinese being interested in this from their perspective as well. It also shows a lot of Chinese don't want to be under the Chinese Communist Party. It's not the Chinese Interesting. problem. It's the Chinese Communist Party. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Um, okay, so earlier this year, China's president famously said the U.S. is trying to contain them, suppress them. Um, I think that's probably a clear reference to like sanctions, tariffs, but also these export controls on things like advanced chips, semiconductors. Um, I, I know this summer China hit back with their own export controls on critical minerals, which are needed to make the chips. And we know China has a lot of the, those minerals. Is part of the talks you expect the president to have with Xi Jinping at APEC about stopping these sort of restrictions against one another. You know, I'll do this export control, you do this export control. Or is this actually deeper than that? This is a national security concern, and we're not going to be, you know, sending advanced AI chips to China so their military can use them. Uh, the way you ended is the exact way to frame it. By the way, the Chinese were effectively not sending stuff to us before. Um, and the U.S. government is only restricting a very small set of things, not other things. And the things that we're restricting are things that have a dual use, not just in the commercial space, but also in the military space. Uh, so, uh, mm -hmm. and China has worked, so, so both sides are doing it. China because they want to control things like critical minerals, and the United States because we don't want to give the Chinese a leg up on competing with us militarily. Now, frankly, I trust Americans more than I trust the Chinese Communist Party. And I, uh, I am strongly in favor of these export controls. It puts us just a little bit further ahead of the Chinese coming up with things like AI and AI that can be used for military apl applications, as an example. A part of the problem is that there's been a pattern by Xi Jinping, the president of China, in which he is just stating publicly that he wants to challenge the United States in so many words, 
that they are putting investment in things that would challenge us and that they are threatening a hot war over Taiwan. And then the United States responds. Imagine that. Uh, and so um, I think the United States actions are perfectly appropriate, given that what Xi Jinping has publicly stated. Does this president bring up Taiwan over the course of, of their talks or – how, how does Taiwan – because the Taiwanese will be there, – there will be Taiwanese representatives at APEC, which I imagine might be, you know, awkward. Well, I suspect the Chinese will bring it up. And way back when, when Richard Nixon reopened the door to China, and then this policy has been supported by every president since, there's a little bit of a don't ask, don't tell attitude between the United States and Taiwan. But we've always insisted that any resolution of the relationship of Taiwan with the mainland be done peacefully. And we have committed that if uh, non-peaceful means are used in order to attempt to reunite, that, that the United States would push back upon that. But subsequently, Xi Jinping has said that if peaceful means don't work, they will leave open other options. So there really is a potential there for armed conflict, one thing triggering another. But that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. That's why it's important for our militaries to be speaking to each other to hopefully limit any area in which we might have confrontation. Yeah, I, I guess we'll wait and see after the Taiwanese elections in January. Um, this, you know, this July at a campaign reception, President Biden said, don't worry about China, like worry, but don't. And he cited their economic struggles, and he said that Xi Jinping was also embarrassed by the spy balloon, that he hadn't known about it. Um, and also he said that, that she didn't want the U.S. to restart the quad, um, you know, the grouping of Australia, India, Japan, and U.S. working together. All of that kind of seemed pretty insightful. I just wanted to know what you make of the president saying that as our intelligence and defense officials paint China as a, a threat or at the very least an adversary. Yeah, I think that the president, well, let's just say I don't think the president was quite getting where our rest of our establishment is. Um, if, he, if he's trying to say that our military is currently superior to China, that's fine. But our military considers China a peer nation. And there's been public reports based upon the uh, leaked emails that came out earlier this year that right now the United States thinks that in a hot war that, that the West could not stop China from taking Taiwan. Um, now, that's not to say that we would not win a conflict elsewhere, but it is to say on something that close to the Chinese mainland's coast that we would not win that war. So I think the president's being a little bit whistling past the graveyard if he's trying to say we've got nothing to worry. Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy, thank you so much for joining. Hey, a really good interview. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. A break for consumers and maybe for President Biden if this keeps up. Inflation is cooling off. For the first time since July of last year, consumer prices did not go up last month. The Labor Department's Consumer Price Index for October comes in the same as September. Zero inflation, 3.2% inflation from the year before. That's down. The peak was 9.1% in June 2022. Also down is core inflation, stripping out food and energy costs. Prices are up two-tenths of a percent from last month, up 4% year over year. 
the slowest annual pace since September 2021. All those inflation numbers are lower than most economists expected. This is amazing and interesting because we're seeing the headline number at zero Uh, month-to-month inflation not budging. Fox Business correspondent Jerry Willis. And what that really means, and I think the big takeaway for consumers here, is that this may mean that the Fed is done raising rates and they may turn around and start cutting rates, surprise, surprise, next year. But yeah, basically... Actually cutting, not not just not raising anymore, but actually cutting rates, you think? Yes, that could happen. Uh, That could happen. Uh, Will it happen in January, February, March, April? I have no idea. But uh, across Wall Street, believe me, a bunch of economists are trying to figure out what's next and when that happens. Look, I think what was so interesting about this report is it came as a big surprise to investors, to Wall Street, every single major number Uh, Whether it was the headline numbers month to month or year over year or core, which is uh, headline inflation minus uh, energy and food, it all was a surprise to these guys. The smartest minds on Wall Street could not figure this out and they couldn't see the direction it was going. Because of the interest rate ramifications, uh, rally on Wall Street as soon as the report came out. Absolutely. So it looks like the Nasdaq will exit correction territory. It's on track to do that. Very strongly, all three major averages moving higher here. We're seeing uh, bond yields fall. Um, So, I mean, this is all something you could script if you knew what the numbers were going to be. That's how the market reacts. Uh, Digging into this, um, shelter still up, but not as much as it has been. Uh, That's going to help a lot of people. Is there a dam breaking there? I don't think it's a good enough number from shelter for that to happen, to tell you the truth. You know, shelter's been responsible for 70 percent of the inflation we've had this year, uh, and it's up three-tenths of a percent in this particular report, but we need to see more movement in that. The real thing uh, that made this report go is that energy prices went down. Gas was down 5 percent inside the month, and of course, that's a number that can move anywhere in the next month, right? Yeah. I mean, that's very unpredictable. So if you're relying on energy prices to keep going down, good luck with that, my yeah. friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, hence that's right. That's why that's why it's not in what's called the core because food and energy go up and down willy nilly, almost almost regardless of other stuff that's happening in the economy, right? Yeah. So food and energy can go up willy nilly, or they can plunge. You know, they're just very volatile. So yeah. that's why they're not included in core. Um, I think everybody's going to be looking at these numbers, you know, your portfolio managers, you know, pull up that 401k, friends. It's time to start thinking about where you're going to go next. I'm not saying sell. I'm just saying think about what you want to buy and where you want to buy things. Uh, Actually, down car prices. Um, Car prices? I mean, along with higher inflation, it's been harder, you know, to get into a new car or new to you car or truck um, because of the prices and the inflation. Is that easing? I hope so. Uh, Yeah, we have seen some really uh, difficult times for people who want to buy a car, who want to buy a home. Hard assets uh, have been very, very expensive. And, you know, there were other little rays of sunshine in this report. Like, I don't know if you saw eggs. (laughs) Egg prices are down 22%. There was a huge spike in egg prices, partly for fundamental reasons, like, you know, there were issues in egg-laying factories across the country. There was a shortage. So that played into it. But we're starting to see some easing in food prices. Not everything. Ground beef, for example, was up, I believe, 6 or 7%. Um, we're also seeing some other commodities like that uh, rising higher. But it looks like we could be, possibly, maybe, at a turning point. 
And uh, that's important because there were lots of concerns that inflation would remain sticky for a long, long time. Keep in mind that year-over-year number, by the way, uh, is still over 3%. So that's not a number that's acceptable to the Fed, by the way. They want to see inflation lower than that. So while the market is seeing the Fed sitting on its hands in the next meeting, you know, maybe not. And what's interesting about the next meeting, which I believe is in December, uh, CPI comes out the same day the Fed meets. So how they handle that is anybody's guess. Um, Also, the numbers don't mean inflation doesn't mean as much. It's it's real average wages is what I'm trying to get to. Wages adjusted for inflation. Like how much is your buying power? Um, Totally right. Yeah. How is that? How's that? I happen to have some numbers right here which I am happy to share with you. Since President Biden came into office, there's been a total decrease in real average hourly earnings. I'll do it one more time. Maybe we'll get it right. Real average hourly earnings are actually down since President Biden came into office by 3.3%. So that is not good news for working folks. And it's because of this inflation issue, because you can't just look at wages. You have to look at wages vis-a-vis inflation. Uh, credit card debt is up. Higher higher prices plus higher interest rates will do that to you. Um, is it at a troubling rate to you? Um, I'm not thrilled with the way uh, people are putting more on plastic. Uh, I think it portends uh, not so great things. And it's partly because people see higher prices for everything at the grocery store, generally speaking, and also that their wages aren't as going as far as they would like. So they're rapidly spending down that little cushion of money they had from leftover from COVID. So I think increasingly consumers are not in a good place. And it's partly because of this rise in inflation and what and the effect it's had on things like interest rates for credit cards, which are now, you know, 25 percent. I mean, that's that's just not doable. That's not I mean, I don't know. You know, you do not want to roll over Christmas this year. You do not want to roll over your Christmas purchases. Yeah, and it's, if you walk into any store, it's it's Christmas time already, um, yeah. pre-Thanksgiving now. Uh, some surveys are saying that people are gonna they're gonna spend less this year, at least on gifts. Um, does that portend problems for retail? Well, um, I've also heard some people are t- saying that uh, people will spend decently for Christmas, but then come January, it's all over. You know, I think people have had a tough year. They want to enjoy the holiday. And up until now, we've seen them spending. I know retailers are concerned, worried that it won't come through in the next six weeks or so. But um, I think consumers are spending every last dime until they can't anymore. And sadly, that is often how it goes. Um, Lower inflation, pretty strong job numbers. Explain why some analysts are still seeing trouble ahead for the stock market. Some people are going so far as to say, look, we're still headed for um, we're still headed for a recession and there's going to be a, a crash in the market. What are what are considered warning signs to those doomsayers? Well, I think the jobs market is already showing cracks. The last report was not upbeat. Um, so people are concerned about that. In many ways, that was the bull market of this economy, the jobs market was the great big deal because there were, it seemed like there was nothing that could bring it down until very recently. So there are concerns about that. 
also, when you bake in these rate hikes, it takes months and months and months for their impacts to show up. So only now are we starting to see the impacts of these rising rates that make everything from credit card debt to housing um, to buying anything on time more expensive. I want to end this, if possible, on an optimistic note. Um, Have we turned have we finally turned a real corner? Is there no looking back now on inflation? I'm not willing to say that. I'm not willing to say inflation is over. As you know, it's sticky. It's hard to get rid of. Uh, it's pernicious. And, and to my way of thinking, it really hurts the people who can least afford it. But it is down in this report, and I am glad to see that. That is a positive. And I think that, you know, people need to take stock uh, come the end of the year here and start thinking about their moves for next year when it could become more difficult. You have time to plan now um, and think about what you're doing with your money. And let me tell you, I think it's high time to be doing that. Jay Willis, Fox Business Correspondent, also the host of um, Real Tough Women on Fox Nation and uh, the Fox News podcast, Fearless and Proud. Jerry Willis, thanks. Thank you. And in other news, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Being a dog mom isn't just a thing here in the U.S. In Japan, a traditional ceremony for human children is catching on among pet owners. The Zama Shrine dates back to the 6th century and is about 22 miles southwest of Tokyo. It established a specific prayer site for pets in 2012. Now it hosts Sushi Gosan rituals where pet parents can pray for the health and happiness of their animals. The rite means 753 in Japanese and is typically celebrated in mid-November for children reaching those ages. Parents dress their kids in kimonos, bring them to the Shinto holy place for a ceremony. But now, because of declining birth rates in Japan, pets are filling that role. The ceremony was held this week at the Zama Shrine. A group of Shiba Inu dogs were seen donning kimonos and flowers, prayed over and blessed by a Shinto priest. The proud pet parents thank the gods when the pets reach the ages of three, five, and seven. It's estimated over 100 pets will be brought to the shrine this season. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? According to Michigan Democrat Representative Rashida Tlaib, The term from the river to the sea is a call for, quote, freedom, human rights and peaceful coexistence, end quote. According to many others, including Hamas, it is a call to destroy Israel, even at the cost of Jewish lives. Even after being censured by the House of Representatives for her anti-Semitic remarks and for spreading Hamas propaganda with 22 Democrats voting to rebuke her, Tlaib doubled down, saying she would not be silenced and that her words were being distorted. So how are we to determine where pro-Palestinian sentiment ends and anti-Semitism begins? Over at the progressive New York magazine, Eric Levitz has an answer. What's not surprising is that it exonerates Tlaib. What is surprising is that it is an absolute refutation of two decades of progressive orthodoxy about bigotry. Here's what he says, quote, 
Too often, arguments about anti-Semitism get bogged down in assertions about a given claim's motivation, which in most cases is unknowable. So in determining whether a statement should be branded as anti-Semitic, let's focus on its explicit meaning, not its alleged motivation. End quote. It's utterly astounding. This is the 180 degree opposite of everything the left has said about racism, sexism, and transphobia as it pounded into our heads that we shouldn't use terms like you guys, peanut gallery, or mother, even if our motivation is purely innocent. They reinforce harmful stereotypes, you see. The entire basis of critical race theory is that motivation or intent is completely irrelevant when judging if a statement is racist. Why is this rule different for anti-Semitism? We've also been told that demographic groups themselves decide what is and isn't offensive to say about them. If a black person or a gay person or a Martian tells us something crosses a line, the left says we must respect that. But here we have Jews all over the country insisting not only that these slogans are anti-Semitic and hurtful, but that they are causing legitimate fear of violence. The double standard is glaring. For every other group, we must walk on ever-shifting eggshells so as not to microaggress. But when it comes to Jews, well, they ought to just be less sensitive. The saddest part of this is that, of course, Levitz is correct. Obviously, motivation and intent should be taken into account with allegations of bigotry. But if we apply this standard with its high bar to anti-Semitism, why not to every form of bigotry? It is possible to make a distinction between someone marching in general support of Palestinians and someone chanting glory to the martyrs, which is very much an explicit call to murder more Jews. That is a distinction most Americans would be comfortable with, but Tlaib and her band of loony leftists won't even call out glory to the martyrs. No. For today's American progressive, the double standard is the point. The rules of political correctness were never rules at all. They were an academic Rube Goldberg device meant to distract from the left's one and only true goal, power. In pursuit of this power, or as they call it, social justice, anything is fair game, even tearing down missing posters of kidnapped babies being held hostage. Americans must and eventually will defeat this perverse ideology that places us all into demographic boxes and turns a sly, blind eye to even abject anti-Semitism. But until that happens, until our society utterly rejects the double standards of identity politics, a lot of Jews are going to take a lot of abuse, and silence in the face of that abuse is indeed complicity. I'm David Marcus, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.